5, 36 through 39 says this, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says that the old is better, or the old is good. Matthew 9:17 says, Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both the wine and the wineskins are preserved. So, just kind of as a way of introduction, Jesus says, No one patches an old garment by using a patch of unshrunk cloth. Now, I began to realize, I'm thinking about it right now, that uh, we really got to talk about this because our culture, we don't patch anything. I mean, if teacher's got a hole in it, you know, then we go and buy another teacher. Unless you're, you're the, the younger generation, and then you buy holy clothes to begin with. Because they got all these uh, holes and stuff. I, I tell them, I said, why don't you go buy a regular piece of jeans, wear it for a couple of years, and you'll find that it'll become what you want. They actually pay more money to get distressed and torn jeans. Well, I'm getting off on a tangent. Anyway, okay, so no one <laughs> patches an old garment by using a patch of unshrunk cloth. No one indicates that the practice is unthinkable. Jesus is referring to the process of mending a worn, older garment. Now, it may signify any garment, but some translations make it very specific by using the word coat or cloak. The wrong patch, Jesus said, to put on an old coat is one of unshrunk cloth. So, in other words, new cloth. Have you ever bought a, 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 a T-shirt or you bought a, a piece of clothes and it used to be, not so much anymore, some things are pre-washed today, but it used to be if you bought jeans, you had to wash them because it had still dye in it and it was probably still a little bit bigger than what you want. So you had to learn how to buy clothes that were a little bit bigger. If it felt right and then you washed it, it wasn't going to be right after you washed it, right? You just got something for your younger brother. If you washed it and you bought it for your size, that's the way it used to be. And so we understand uh, uh, those of us that are older, that you, the, uh, unshrunk cloth is stuff that hasn't been washed yet. It hasn't gone through the weathering. It hasn't gone through the through the through the the the, the hot water that makes it to the size that it's supposed to be. So uh, older clothes have already been washed. But the gist of this is, if you put an unwashed cloth on an older set of clothes, well, that when you go to wash it the new cloth is going to shrink. The old one isn't because it's already been shrunk. The new one is going to shrink, and when it shrinks, you know what it's going to do with the older clothes? It's going to make it to where the younger generation wants to buy it. <laughs> it's going to make, it's going to tear the older garment, and it's going to make the patch worse, right? So, um, if we would continue the thought that Jesus is bringing out, we would say that the answer is not to patch the old coat, but to get a new coat. The old coat was good and necessary and had its place, 
but the time has come to replace the old coat with something that will fill, fulfill its function today. The same point is made in another way. Those storing new wine, that is wine that is still fermenting, must take care how they store it. They do not put it into old wineskins, and it clearly what it's pointing out here is they don't put it into something that is worn out. And let me just give you an, an, an idea of what used to happen. Obviously today, they ferment wine differently. Uh, we don't have to be instructed in all the different ways that it's done, but back then, they would... Uh, get the grape juice and they would crush it you know get the wine but it still had to ferment and so they would put it into vessels and the vessels they had were skins from animals that had they were new skins they hadn't been uh, really used yet and they were obviously cleaned and washed and all that kind of stuff and they would tie up the ends and then they would put the wine in these wine skins and what would begin to happen is it would begin to stretch because wine that is fermenting is becoming bigger. The gas of the ferment, fermentation process, you know, now we have pressure cookers have that little lid that goes, you know, and tea kettles have that thing. You know, when it gets hotter, it starts, it, it has a release valve. Well, they didn't have release valves back then. And so the release was the stretching of the wine skin. Yes. Okay? So, but old skins that have been used before lose their elasticity. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, I appreciate elasticity. I buy clothes with uh, stretchy pant uh, waistbands in them because elasticity is my friend. <laughs> and some of y'all that don't do that are going, oh, that's funny, but I can't laugh. It's too tight. Well, anyway. So fermentation puts more pressure on older skins and the older skins that have lost their elasticity they can't sustain it with a result that the skins burst and what happens when the skin bursts the skin is not good anymore and the wine is no good anymore you know you have the 30-second rule right right but there's no 30-second rule with liquid that falls on the ground once liquid falls on the ground it's lost Okay, and if your container is burst, it's no good anymore either. I had a, a coffee container that when you, when you push the, the handle down, it becomes airtight. But sometimes uh, the way they did it is, is, to me, that's a handle. So I grab the handle, but it's really not a handle. It's what causes it to be airtight. But when I grab the handle, I forgot is what caused it to be airtight. It no longer it released the air, and here I pull the container. And when I pull the container, the container fell on the ground. I lost my coffee beans, and then I also lost my container because it broke. But see, that's the point of what we're trying to 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 get across. But people back then had to put new wine into new wineskins with a satisfactory result that both of them will be preserved. Now what's interesting is that new in the context of new wine in the Greek is actually a different word than new in the context of wineskins. Even though they're both translated new in the original language that it was written in, they're two different words. So we don't have two different words in our language. It was a little more precise language than ours. So, uh, the first 
in the, when he's talking about new wine, is the word neos. And uh, we, we understand it as a neo-orthodox, neo, uh, you know, we use words like that today. But basically, that means something that is new in respect of time or that which, which, is, which is recent. It's frequently used of comparing younger people with older people. They're the same. They're just one's newer than the other one. Right? Yeah, we would say older, but in the context of what we're looking at here, uh, this person who's smaller is newer than the one that's all wrinkly. Right? But they're still people. Still people. And by the way, even when they're in the room, they're still people. That's why we, we protect them. And that's why as people, we need to be, as Christians, we need to be adamant about the fact, and I'm grateful that our state is here, but we need to be adamant about the fact that we protect innocent life because that's a kingdom value. I'm tired of this. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, you know what? I'm a kingdom. And if you're a Republican and, you, and you're for uh, 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 pro-abortion, I'm not going to vote for it. If you're Democrat and you're pro-abortion, I'm not going to vote for you because I'm not pro-Democrat, pro-Republican. I'm pro-kingdom. And so let's get off this thing. Well, I've been this way. I've always been this way, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, you know, you start, you start thinking about what Jesus is. What does Jesus promote? And my life needs to reflect what Jesus promotes. I'm sorry I got off on a tangent there. We used to have a lady here a long time ago. Won't tell you who she was. But she would cause a lot of problems. And then uh, she, one time she said, well, my mother taught me, don't let anybody push you around. You stand up for your rights. And I wanted to say, well, what does your heavenly father teach you? I'm not interested in what your mother taught you. I'm not interested in what society's teaching you. I'm interested in what Jesus is teaching you. Okay, let me get back. We didn't catch that rabbit. Let's get back. The second new, when we're talking about new wineskins, it's another Greek word called kainos, which means something that is new as to quality or of a different nature. So Jesus said that new, which is talking about recent, needed to be put into new, which is talking about of a different nature. New wine needs to be put into new wineskins. The new wine of the Spirit is not really something different. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not a new Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's been around since in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. That's where we know Him, but He was here before that ever happened. Right? So He's not new in that sense. It's just the more new, recent thing that God wants to do in this time is not of a different quality. It's just newer. That's what he means by new wine. The new wine of the Spirit is not something different, so it isn't qualitatively new wine. He just wants to put more of himself into us. Although the wine is different, the wineskin does need to change. It needs to become something totally different. And listen, if you're not a Christian, you need to become something new. The Bible says 
talk about you got to die to yourself and then in Christ you become a new creation in Christ. Not something similar, but something totally new. You become a new wineskin. And it's only that new wineskin that's able to receive what God wants to do in your life. Well, how do I do that? you gotta, you got to call out unto the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What happens when I get saved? Jesus basically erases all your sins. Now, he doesn't just say, I wipe them off the book. He paid a price for that. But the, but the, the Bible says you become born again, born anew, and you become a different person, become a different person, where did that come from, anyway, you become a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new, so we know it in that kind of sense, right, but also we need to understand, in order to get another dose of his spirit poured out in us, oftentimes we must be transformed. If we don't become qualitatively new, we won't be able to hold the new wine that he is pouring out. If we let him work in our lives to transform us, then he can put more of himself upon us and he can put new wine into new wineskins. What we're talking about is moving away from what we do currently. We could call that current religious traditional practice. Now listen, things that you do ritually aren't always bad, but sometimes the things that we do all the time can prevent you from something new. We put new chairs here and we put in a different format and I had several people come up to me and complain about the new. I'm not looking out there because I know that you're going... But the reality is sometimes new things are going to take place. And you can't get the benefit of the new if you're trying to hold on to the old. Now this is very innocuous, moving chairs. But when God wants to do something new, sometimes the new thing that he does, we might actually say that it's not from God. We might actually say this from the devil. That can't be God. Why? Because it's new to me. Well, just because it's new to you doesn't mean it's not God. The disciples said the same thing. When Jesus came walking to them on the water, they said, that ain't God. The way they said it was, that's a ghost. It's a phantasm. It actually says that. It's a phantasma. It's a, it's a phantasm. In the Greek, it says the word phantasm. It's a devil. It wasn't no devil. It was Jesus. He just came in a different way than what they were used to. Right? But sometimes if we hold on to the way we always do things, we'll actually deny the very thing that God is wanting to do in our midst because it doesn't match up to what we know. Jesus is saying that he's bringing a new way of worship. It's not new in the sense that it's extra biblical, but it's new in the sense that it's unlike what is being expressed in the present. You can't fix the present. The new is incompatible with the present. You must ditch the old to embrace the new. You can't fix the present coat you wear. You got to get a new coat. The principle that is important for us to grasp is that Jesus is bringing new wine into the church. 
This new wine is not something new as in the sense of never being seen before, but it's new in the sense that it's a moving of a spirit in us and among us that requires flexibility for us to contain that which he's pouring out. In order to embrace this moving of the Spirit of God, we can't hold on to the rigid mindsets and traditional ways of thinking and doing things that we've been accustomed to. We must be moldable and stretchable to embrace the move of God. We've got to be willing to get a new coat instead of continue to wear the old coat and just kind of make it look pretty. You don't want to bedazzle the old coat. Throw it away. God's got something new. Right? The, old, uh, we, the older coat was good for its day. We're not in any way saying that the older coat, there's something wrong with it. What we're saying is it will not suffice for the new season. It's necessary to get a new coat for the new season. We're not necessarily talking about changing the essence of who we are, but changing the manifestation of who we are to keep up with what God is doing. Now, please understand me that this is just the beginning message of a series of seven. Okay? So some of this won't become more clear to you till we get into five, six, and seven. And you're like, you mean i got to come to all of them? That's the hope. The problem that we face oftentimes as Christians, as people, as the church is this. We're used to changing clothes in conformity with the change in weather. It's cold outside. I need to get a coat, right? However, with a life of faith, we must learn to change our clothes before the promised change in weather. There was a... Uh, illustration used oftentimes, preachers use it quite a bit whenever there was a prayer meeting and the people would gather for prayer, but this was a special call for special prayer. And so what, what were they praying for? Well, it hadn't rained in a long time. Anybody know what that looks like? Yeah. Right? It hadn't rained in a long time, so they're going to pray for rain. So everybody got together to pray for rain. And all of a sudden, there comes a younger person and they're, they're coming into the prayer meeting and they got a raincoat on, and they got an umbrella, and they got a rain hat on, and they're making fun. What are you doing that for? He said, well, I thought we were praying for rain. I'm dressing for success. And sometimes, in keeping with that metaphor illustration, we've got to learn how to dress, not with the way things are going now, but in the way that Jesus wants things to happen, and it's our willingness to dress now in a way that's not happening now that will actually foster the manifestation of God, what God wants to do. Well, you look foolish if you do that. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God's concern is that we not look foolish. What he's looking for is faith. And sometimes faith, if not always, looks foolish to the world. But it doesn't look foolish to God. In other words, it can't be when I see the change in the season, then I'll change my coat. If we function that way to change metaphors, we will not be able to contain the wine. We must first change coats in order to facilitate the change in weather. We have to have the new wineskin in place 
to facilitate the pouring out of the wine. Lord, I want you to pour out the wine. Well, I want to pour out the wine too, but I need you to get a new wineskin so I can pour out the wine. Well, I don't want to go spend money on a new wineskin if you say there's going to be wine, but there ain't no wine coming. First send the wine, and then I'll get the wineskin. And God says, no, you get the wineskin, and then I will provide the wine. Am I making sense to you? I didn't ask you if you liked it. I just asked you, am I making sense to you? Okay? Now, I want to move forward the rest of this message by doing a, what do you call it when you use the letter of each word? Uh, alliteration? Huh? Is it alliteration? I want to use the word new, and I want to use the first letter of that word new for the rest of the message that we're looking at. So that word in, I want to, I want to label that next. All right? What do you mean by Next, Well, let's, let's ground this in the fact that God does not do things haphazardly. God actually knows what he's doing. He has a purpose. He has a plan. We might even be able to say there's vision with God. Right? Revelations 22 and 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. God encompasses all. He is there at the beginning and he is there at the end. Not he was there at the beginning and he will be there at the end. No, he is there at the beginning and he is there at the end because he's outside of time. I know it blows your mind, but you got to understand that with God, everything is. Right? So, he knows not only what happened, but he also knows what will happen. He also is moving the world and the people of God towards a goal. God always had and always has had and will have a plan. It says in Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, and he's talking to Israel, plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future, and a hope. In other words, God is not haphazard about events. He is purposeful in the way that he works. He not only knows what will happen, but as the king and ruler of all creation, he is working in this world and moving things toward his specific purpose and goal. Revelations 13 and 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever created, before people ever populated the world, God already knew where he was going. Jesus was not a haphazard, uh, uh, a scrambling to make things right whenever Adam and Eve threw a monkey wrench into everything. No, God knew all that and he already had a plan. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is bigger than what you think. Matthew 16 and 21. From that time that Jesus revealed, uh, the Father revealed to, through Matthew that he was the Christ, from that time it says Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
So while here on this earth, Jesus reveals to us that he knew and was purposeful in following the plan for his life. Moreover, God's plans are still ongoing. After his resurrection, we are shown in this next verse that I'm about to quote to you uh, out of the book of Revelation that he is still working his plan. Revelations 4, 1 through 2. After this, John, John the Revelator, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. My point in quoting you that scripture is for you to realize that God is not surprised and he knows what's happening and he's moving everything towards his intended goal. If he is not random, but instead works with something in mind, a goal, if you will, then we know that there is a next part to his plan, and at some point, he will make that next part known to his people. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Let me just stop here and say, well, wait a minute. So you're saying that no matter what, God's, God knew that I was going to be living this reprobate life? Are you saying that that was God's will and that God had planned it all? No, God knew it, and he's got a plan for how to get you out of it. You, he didn't, you didn't catch anything by, he didn't, you didn't catch him by surprise. He was not like, oh, I didn't think that he was going to do that. He knows exactly what you were going to do. He knows exactly how you're going to act. He knows exactly what was going to take place in your life. And he has a solution to whatever decision that he already knows you were going to make. And if you call on him, he has a way out. But it's always found in Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Amos 3 through 7, for the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, how can God reveal something? And what we're talking about here is what he's going to do. How can he reveal if he doesn't know what he's going to do? He knows what he's going to do. And he's very purposeful about doing it. John 15 and 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you Friends, for all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All right? So we need to realize that when God says next, when we're using the word next, is that God has a plan. He knows where he's going. That being the case, what's our part in this? Well, we need to have an expectation. We need to expect. And another word for expect is the word faith. Can you say the word faith with me? Romans 8, 18 through 19, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Since God has and is working out his plan, then we must also have an expectation that at some point the next thing he wants to do will be on the agenda. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying here. Yeah. 
if he has a plan, that at some point it's going to be time to move into the next step of the plan. Creation knows that his glory is coming, and so should we. His servants, revealing this to his servants, we must then have an expectancy of the thing that he is wanting to do. This type of expectancy we call faith. Faith, Hebrews 11 and 1, is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Where do we get that assurance? Where do we get that conviction? From the Word of God, what God reveals to us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God said it. I have an expectation that what God said, He will do. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and re he rewards those who seek him. In Matthew 8.5-10 and the verse 13, Jesus talks about what it was like for someone to have great faith. The centurion came to Jesus and said, Lord, because Jesus, he asked the Lord to come and heal his servant. Jesus said, I'll go with you. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my roof. But only say the word and my servant, it doesn't say might be healed. It says will be healed. And he tells him why he believes that. Because I too am a man under authority. When he says that, he is saying, I see that you, Jesus, or a man under authority. I too, he says, have soldiers under me. And I see you, Jesus, have soldiers under you. In other words, I understand by faith, I'm able to see and make a comparison between what I do and what I have in life and what you do, even though I don't see authority, even though I don't see anybody around you, I know that you are a man under authority, and if you say something, it's going to be done. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, how does he perceive all this? He perceives it all by faith, because faith sees. It perceives. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by God's word as our guiding principle, not what the world is saying, not what the media is saying, not what the administration is saying, not what the CDC is saying, not what the WHO is saying, not what uh, uh, the, the protagonists on, on television and all these, these groups that are trying to tell you how to live life. We don't walk by what they say. We walk by what God says. The world is saying that things are about to get bad. The economy is about to bust. But I don't live simply in the world. I live under a different administration that is greater than anything in this world. God has said that he would take care of his children. I've never seen the righteous sake forsaken or his seed begging for bread. So I don't care what's happening here. I don't care what the media is saying. I don't care what economists are saying. I care about what God says. And I live by faith believing that if God be true, let every man be a liar. And that's the way we need to live. Sorry, got a little excited there.
When Jesus heard what the centurion said, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such great faith. And then jump down to verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. So somehow or another, faith opens the door to what God can do. And it opens the door to the power of God in our lives. So it's one thing to say, I believe that God has a plan, but faith is actually what opens the door for that plan to begin to work itself out in your life. Well, when I see God working in my life, then I'll believe it. That's actually what a guy named Thomas said. Thomas said, when I see the nail scars in his hand and put my finger there, put my finger in his side, then I'll believe that he resurrected. Jesus shows up and he said, Thomas, put your finger in my side, put it in my hand. He said, and Thomas is my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe, who believe and they have not seen. And if I could add to that, I'm not adding to Scripture, just the context of Scripture is this, because you have believed, you will see. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. How do I know that? Because you believe. If you believe, you will see. Well, I don't believe that. Then you won't see. Faith is important to manifest what God has promised in your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But all things are possible to those who believe. And the last part of that word new, we've looked at next as, as, as vision, expect as really talking about faith. And then we're going to use that last uh, uh, letter in there, that word walk. It should have an underline under there, but it doesn't have it. But we'll fix that. <laughs> Walk and see faith without action is really not faith. Bible says it this way. Faith without works is dead. See, in our society, we believe that if you just understand something with your mind, then that's the same as having faith. But biblically, to understand with your mind is not what faith is. It is when you put into practice what you understand with your mind, whether or not it's happening or not, you're doing it anyway because you believe that is the biblical understanding of faith. Romans 1, 5 through 6. Paul says, through whom we, he's talking about himself and those who preach the gospel, have received grace and apostleship to bring about Obedience. Is that what he says? No. The obedience of faith. So what he's really saying is that the obedience that faith produces. So faith without obedience is not faith. Faith produces obedience. So how do I know if I have faith? Let me see whether you obey. Well, I can go to church, and I can hear about Jesus, and I can do all that stuff. It don't matter. What matters is what you do. You shall know them by their fruits, by what you do. Am I a Christian or not? 
let's squeeze you a little bit and let's see what comes out. What did it come out? Does it look like Jesus or does it look like some of these YouTube videos? We'll know whether or not you really believe or not. Faith is not just seeing something and living in expectation of what you see. No, what makes faith faith is when that belief moves us from expectation into action because of that which we see. Well, if God blesses me financially, then I'll give. No, that's not faith. Faith is I give with an expectation that God will bless me. And I will see the blessings of God because I believe God not after he blessed me but before he blessed me and I put faith to that and I put action to my faith and that's actually what released the promise and the blessings of God in my life. I like the way it says in the Amplified Version, Hebrews 11 and 1, faith is the assurance or the confirmation or the title deed of the things that we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of the reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. See, what God says to you is not always readily perceptible in the immediate. It's not always readily acceptable to the senses. But it is still truth because Jesus said, who is the word, by the way, I am the way and the truth and the life. It doesn't become truth. It is truth. And I will see it as truth, whether or not it's perceptible to me as truth. I accept it as truth because the truth teller said it. James 2.17 Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Hebrews 11 and 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. In other words, God didn't say, hey, here's your inheritance, go walk it out. He said, no, go walk it out, and everywhere you walk, I'm going to give you as an inheritance. And here's the thing, everywhere he was walking was covered with enemy people. Well, why would he go do that? Because he believed what God said. And it was his willingness to go do what God said before God released it into his life that actually released it into his life. Amen. Romans 4, 19-21. Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the, the barrenness of Sarah's womb. In other, in other words, everything in the natural realm was saying that God's word is not true. But the Bible says about Abraham, no unbelief, and there was unbelief, and he was hearing it, and he was, he, was, he was being played all throughout his life, but he did not heed it. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And how, do it, how is it that he grew strong in his faith, and what does that look like? I believe God. I don't care what my body says. I don't care what my wife's body says. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the, the servants are saying. I don't care what the bank account is saying. I believe God. And I'm going to prove that I believe God 
by walking out this land that God said to walk out. And I'm going to change my name the way that God told me to change my name. Even though I don't have a child, I'm going to call myself the father of a multitude. Not because I see it, but because God said it. And because I do what God said, I know I will see it. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit pumped up this morning. My wife says I went from Clark Kent to Superman. What happened? It's the anointing of God. Because I'm not like this at home. So as I said, this is the beginning of a series. The title of the series is A New Season. We began this morning with the verse, you don't put new wine or you put into old wineskins, you put new wine into new wineskins or ESV says fresh wineskins, renewed wineskins. The principle to grasp is that Jesus is bringing new wine into the church, but let's make it really more poignant than that. He's bringing new wine into this church. The new wine is not something new as in the sense of never been seen before, but is in the new in the sense that it is a moving of His Spirit in and among us that will require flexibility from us to contain it. In order to embrace this moving of the Spirit of God, we can't hold on to the rigid mindsets and traditional ways of thinking and doing things that we've been accustomed to. We must be moldable and stretchable to embrace the move of God. In other words, we have got to be willing to get a new coat. The older coat was good for its day, but it will not suffice for the promised new season. It's necessary to get a new coat for the new season. Now, the word coat is a metaphor. Now, some of you ladies will probably use it to your advantage and say, Pastor said we got to go get a new coat. That's between you and your husband. But it's really a metaphor. What is a metaphor for? To teach us something by making a comparison, right? So we're not necessarily talking about changing the essence of who we are, but changing the manifestation of who we are to keep up with what God is doing. All right, so in other words, let's go back to that new creation in Christ. Jesus said, you're a new creation in Christ. I've got to change my way of thinking to match up to who he says I am. I may not feel like it. I may not think like it, but he says I am, and so I've got to learn and become what he says I am. I call myself a Christian, and then I learn how to act like a Christian. See, a lot of times we think, well, I've got to learn how to act like a Christian before I become a Christian. No, you'll never, do, you'll never get there because it's by grace through faith. You've got to accept his work in your life by faith, and then you'll see the manifestation of it, and then you begin to walk it out. In faith, we must learn to change our clothes in anticipation of that which is coming. It can't be when I see the change in the season, then I'll change no, in faith, we must first change in order to facilitate and see the manifestation of what that which God has promised. In short, we have to have the new wineskin in place to facilitate 
the pouring out of the new wine. Amen.